Good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. We're going to be uh, in the book of Daniel over the next few weeks. Uh, I've been looking forward to looking at this uh, study and looking at this book of Prophet of Daniel. And uh, it's really neat in the, the fact that, uh, you know, the first few chapters, you, you really kind of get that breakdown of not only the um, big picture narrative uh, in the last few chapters of the book and even a little bit in the few, but you get what the world impact, the world political stage has an impact on a follower of God um, in the first few chapters. And we'll look at the first half of chapter one this morning. You, you really see um, a, a young man who obviously grows up through the book and you see a young man who is in the midst of turmoil, uh, political, uh, geographical, uh, turmoil, everything that he has grown up knowing uh, is gone uh, to a large degree, destroyed, uh, and really no going back as far as his uh, lifetime. And so you see this exercise in consistency uh, in the midst of dark times that, you know, as bad as it may feel in our world today, really, at least here in America, uh, you know, Daniel, you know, would kind of look at us and go, What are you? so worried about you know what are you so tore up about and we see a a man who is at the top of uh, the food chain as far as a foreigner could be in his country and this overthrow and consistent change nothing stays the same and yet God keeps him in place and as we'll look at today we look at that level of consistency Uh, the events of this book happened between 605 and 535 B.C. Uh, you know, there are different uh, timelines and things that you can look at. And in the New Living Translation that I'm using uh, as we study the prophets, I just stick with what they've got just to be consistent. You can find dates that rank anywhere from, you know, right before the turn over to A.D. Uh, to 600 years prior to that. So you can get into all kinds of debates. And, you know, I challenge you if that's something you're about to do that, to know that. Some of you, you're like, I throw that date out there and it's as gone as it hits your ears, right? And that's fine. There's no issue with that. Uh, but for some of you that like that chronological order that I like so much, that helps and hopefully places that. Last week, we talked about Lamentations and Obadiah. Uh, the siege, as far as we know, of Jerusalem is done. It is over. It's been destroyed. Uh, Everything, as I mentioned, Daniel knew growing up was gone other than where it was located. And so what you see is, and we don't get into the emotional things. You know, I'm not saying that Daniel never doubted, that he never struggled struggled spiritually. Uh, That's not necessarily what we get uh, from the text. We we see a, a person who is diligent in their relationship with God and that they continue that through. And so... As we look, the first six chapters are about uh, the stories that we grew up hearing, you know, in VBS. And we'll definitely take time to look at those and maybe give a little more detail uh, than we're used to getting. And then chapters 7 through the end of the book brings out that idea of seeing it from a world stage standpoint. And as we've talked about over and over again, at the end of the day, if you don't get anything else out of this, it's God's sovereignty that He's in charge that he's in control, and that everything will be brought back to the throne of God. And that at at some point in eternity, in in the future, whether that's today uh, or thousands or millions of years from now, 
that all things will be called into justice and all things will be made right, and not only right, but righteous. And ultimately, we have the decision and choices here. And it's that level of consistency that's difficult for us human beings to maintain, but is basically God's middle name. He is consistent in who He is and what He does, and His faithful to, uh, faithfulness to us has nothing to do with our ability to reciprocate that to Him. That's the goal. That's the target that we shoot for. Uh, literally, sin is missing the target, right? And if you're like me, I do that pretty much every single day. But the beautiful thing about that is, is nothing shocks God. Uh, when the Babylonians showed up at the gates of Jerusalem, that did not shock God. It did not remove Him from the throne. Uh, when these things and bad things happen to Daniel, that does not change who sits on the throne. I believe we see that believe in the life of Daniel. Uh, but understand, probably the biggest point that we can gather from it is we know the world is constantly, that sin and Satan is constantly on the attack. That it wants to make us more like the world than the sun. But the beautiful thing is that the Spirit itself is molding us into the image of God. That in the face of darkness, in the face of this goal to make us all like the world, we have something that is greater in us than he that is in the world. And I see that, we see that in the life of Daniel. So we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in treasure house of his God. And this is fulfilling a prophecy that Isaiah gives that we probably looked at a little bit when we studied that, that the, the treasures of the house of God would be removed and taken into captivity. Uh, and, and it's very easy for me as a human being to read that and go, how could God allow that to happen to the people that he claims to love, right? And, and we probably, most of us, of a certain age have probably heard that phrase, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Oh yeah? Oh, I would like, give me the belt, right? Let me see, right? But there is no one who loves us like God. And so I can put forth, even though I don't fully understand it, that this action hurt God more than his people, right? That, that uh, the book in the New Testament tells us that God disciplines those whom he loves, as a father disciplines his children. All right? One of the benefits of studying Daniel is that I hope maybe there's a benefit that mine thinks I'm talking to him and maybe calling him down a bunch. Uh, I'm not going to hold my breath on that, but maybe, right? And so we are willing to do some pretty extreme things so that our children learn, right? One of the reasons I hope that every parent who sends their kids here to this school was not just to get a nice private school diploma, right? And that's nice. That's a nice benefit. But I hope that everybody understands, hey, we do the things that we do to give them the greatest opportunity to know God, 
right? To have that relationship with God. I, I looked at my seniors the other day and I said, listen, I said, it would be tremendous if you left here and you went out and you just uh, grabbed the world up, stuck it in your pocket, you know, and you just made millions of dollars. You, you, you come up with some cure for cancer, that'd be great. Maybe you remember us down the road and you write us a nice little check and you send it to us, you know, hey, maybe that's the case. And I said, but if you do all that and you don't go to heaven, that's sad. I said, but if you graduate from here and you go out and you get a, you know, a minimum wage job and you never accomplish the big dreams that you've got for this world and you go to heaven, bingo. That's the goal. That's the point. We know that there's a world out there who wants to do everything in its power to separate you from God. Even to the point of not even acknowledging His existence. But we see this diligence in the face of adversity. Basically, the opening verses of Daniel are some of the scariest that a Jew, I'm sure, could read. That everything that you'd known and loved and lived for was gone. But notice that the circumstances don't dictate who we are. That in fact, who we are dictate our attitudes and our situations and the things that we do in the circumstances. Verse 3, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Right? Well, that's at least something, right? Uh, you know, I don't know that that's something that could be said about me. Uh, you know, that probably would have... Uh, uh, disqualified me to some degree. Uh, certainly all of those, right? I, I'm not a strong, no check there, healthy, well depends, right? Uh, and then good looking, the eye of the beholder. It's in, you know, who makes this decision, right? Uh, make sure they are well versed in every branch of learning or gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. Now, I'm cer- certain there are certain reasons why you're choosing the best of the best. But think about the propaganda that's involved in that. We're going to take your best and boldest and brightest, and we're going to make them ours, right? Uh, we've all seen people, you know, you think about these sports legends. Some of them are retiring. Some of them are going to go to another team. And it just feels weird to think about them wearing another uniform, right? Tom Brady in a Raiders outfit. You know, it just doesn't make sense, right? I just That, that doesn't look good, right? And so there's something about that that's like, ugh, right? And, uh, but think about it from a, this standpoint. We're going to take the best you've got and we're going to make them ours. We're going to train them up. How hard it must have been for those to see those guys to become Babylonians. Right? They're, they're always, you know, we tend to think of people in the ancient times as ignorant, not real smart, because, well, they couldn't go to our universities and our schools. But they know exactly what they're doing. It's a mental attack, it is a barrage. Everything they did had some intention to it. And so we're going to take your very best and we're going to make them ours. We're going to make them Babylonians. But God had other plans. It says here, verse 5, The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were four of the young men chosen. 
all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Notice that they go ahead and, and give them completely different names. In fact, most of these young men, if not all of them, and you can look these up, they're there, have Hebrew names that reflect some characteristic of Yahweh God. Daniel's name means God is judge, right? Uh, you know, that's a pretty good reminder every day that you look at, if they had license, your license, hey, God is judge. God is in control. God is sovereign, right? And, and so we want to change that because any reminder of who you used to be is not acceptable here. And so they want to change all that. We're going to change your name. I'm always uh, cautious about naming things, right? And maybe that's just me studying the Old Testament and importance there. You know, we've got some kids that are in, in Daniel's age group that have some pretty interesting names. And some names that you don't want them to live up to, right? It's like, you know, be careful with what you name, folks. And so we see, we know in the Hebrew culture that your name was so very important and reflected that. And so they say, hey, we're going to change you. Your entire identity is going to be found in Babylonian culture. Is that, how does that sound today? Does it make a lot of sense today? Think about the New Testament. What, what's in the New Testament? You, you're going to have a new name, right? We as Gentile believers coming into a Christian walk, our name has changed. We are Christ-like. That is our identity and so they knew, they were well-versed in how culture worked. It's not a new thing. We're going to change you from the very smallest, minute details to the greatest. We're going to educate you in the ways of how we do things. And you've got to get with that or be fed to the lines, right? As we'll see later. And so he changes. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. And I'm not real sure why we stick with Daniel and then we accept the, uh, the Babylonian names of the other guys. I would be willing to say that there's some intention there uh, as well in the fact that, uh, you know, you think that you've changed them, but you haven't. You know, there, there's this reverse thing that happens that goes on. I think we need to look at it that way. You know, we intend this for bad, and what they do is... What God does, right? We're going to take this symbolism, this name, and we're going to backfire on you. What you had intention, right? We see with Joseph all the way back in Genesis, what you intentioned for bad and evil, God has used for good. And we see that in the New Testament as well. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a minute. But verse 8 is where we'll start our conclusion to wrap up our lesson this morning as we get ready for Daniel. Verse 8, but Daniel was determined in the New Living Translation, not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Now, I don't know where the line in the sand is, right? You know, and I think that's where we find difficulty sometimes. Where is that line? And, and obviously, we live in the New Testament era and the lines are even probably more blurred uh, because we have so much liberty Right, and, and I think with the Church of Christ, we oftentimes struggle with what line should we draw. Well, you know, our, our statement is is that we speak where the Bible speaks, we're silent where the Bible silent. So, you know, that limits a lot of the the lines. Right, that there's a lot of mercy, there's a lot of grace, there's a lot of liberty that we should live from, and so we struggle with that, and we find difficulty in that. Uh, there's a chance that Daniel was a eunuch. Right, he was made a eunuch. 
If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 23, that means he's not allowed in the assembly of God. Now, if you think about it, that's the temple. The temple is gone, right? The temple is no longer standing. So maybe that's not something. And he doesn't have a lot of control over that. It's not like he's going to be able to go, no, this didn't happen. You know, I guess he could resist to a point. But if they, you know, enough people want you to be a eunuch, you're going to be a eunuch, right? And you can explain that to the kids later. But, uh, you know, you're going to be that. That's what you're going to be. But he draws this line. But notice that he asks permission. Give me a trial basis. Give me a trial run. He sees an opportunity to show respect, but also honor God. And I think that is the key. We find a balance of spirit and truth. What is the spirit of the rule of what you can eat and what you shouldn't eat? Well, I believe the spirit is to say, hey, we're different. There's something different about us that should draw people to God. And so Daniel sees an opportunity to go, well, here's just one little place that we can keep God in it that could possibly turn into something bigger. It's oftentimes the small details that make the difference. They, he determined this is the spot. He was determined. Are we determined to live our life intentionally for the Lord? Did you know that Wherever you find yourself today, the rest of today, you know, we've got basketball practice here in a little while. Uh, and my tendency is to get up there and play my little game and wave and, hey, I hope Haley's doing good. But can I use that opportunity to talk to others and have a relationship with others? You may go to Walmart. Most of us will get up and go to work tomorrow. Have you made an opportunity? Have you looked at that? Have you determined in your heart through the Spirit of God that... That's an opportunity I'm going to use tomorrow. I'm going to use that opportunity in some small way. It doesn't have to be deep theological discussion, but in some way to show the love of God. As I mentioned earlier, God is in the business of taking symbols and changing them, right? And and using them and making things different. A lot of times our propaganda to, to stop God blows up in the face of others, right? And I can't think of a greater image than that of the cross. An image that was used, and, and Rome will be referenced, I believe, here in the next few chapters. We start talking about the statue of the vision that was seen. And, and Rome used that cross as a propaganda. Hey, listen, you come in here and you're looking for trouble, you will find it. You do not rebel against Caesar, who in the day of Jesus claimed to be the son of God. Notice, not sons of God. There was no room, as, as they used to say in the old, this town ain't big enough for the both of us, right? And then that was Jesus' problem. He's going around and people, oh, this is the son of God. Well, there's only one son of God. Yeah, exactly. And you've got a choice to make. The same choice that Daniel had to make is the same choice in a lot of ways that we have to make. That every single day we live in such a way that people see something different about us. You know the stories and some of them will be so old hat that it will be tempting to go, well, we've heard that over the next few weeks. But understand that the challenge is the same. The challenge is the same. Some of you tomorrow may feel like you're walking into the lion's den and, and that people don't respect your relationship with God. What's a way to do that? Well, I think the... The, the plan is pretty simple. Now, it's not always easy to play out because we all have our own struggles, but the plan is spirit and truth. 
What's your spirit? What's your motivation? Do you love those people? Because if you love those people and you're working towards that, then the truth will just ooze out of your ears almost. It, it, it's almost like you can't even help it, right? It's almost like those Jonah situations. Well, I really don't want to reach out to those people because I know that something will change when the truth is presented. So as simple as that is, I know that it's not always easy. But together as a body of Christ, a body who is infused, I like that word, with the Spirit, then tomorrow we can walk into that proverbial lion's den and God can shut their mouths, not because of your power and your ability, but because of His through you. This morning you have a great choice, as we always do when the truth is presented. Do we buy into that? Do we allow it to penetrate our every single moment that we take a breath and live? Or do we pick and choose, right? And, and um, as a preacher, as a teacher, I'm no better than you. I'm no different than you. I'm no holier than you because I do the exact same thing. I like your holiness right here, but not so much here. And I'd like to maybe show you the door here. I, well, I really don't want you to leave because I want you to stay because I might need you later, right? Uh, there's some concession things that I, I'd really like from you. So you can hang around, but you just stay quiet over there in the corner. Well, fortunately for us, the Spirit is not a corner dweller. It uh, refuses to stay put. It, it's going to be actively in your life pointing those things out. And if this morning something's been pointed out to you that you'd like to make public and you'd like to change and you'd like the, the, the body here at Riverside to encourage you in some way to be better, we would love nothing more because if you're encouraged, we're encouraged as well. If you have a need this morning, why don't you stand as, come as we stand and sing.